And there's 20 some corn grower states that, you know, helped fund to do this study at Texas A&M. It's because we'd already been fighting some issues with phosphate. And then last fall, CF Industries, along with a couple of their other partners, decided that they needed to try and take a page out of the phosphate book and apply for tariffs, countervailing duties, both UAN products from Trinidad, Tobago, and from Russia. Global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A better way to farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. Hello, Rod here at A Better Way to Farm. Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. We appreciate you as always taking some time to share a little bit with us and let us share a little bit with you. I am super, super excited today because we have an amazing guest that I've been super excited about getting this deal chased down. We've been working on it actually for about a month. And this individual today comes to us from St. Ansgar, Iowa. He's been farming for over 35 years. He raises corn and soybeans. He's also the current president of the NCGA. Please help me welcome to the call, Mr. Chris Edgington. Chris, thanks for joining us. No problem. It's always fun to get on the phone and talk agriculture. (laughs) People that don't understand ag, I don't know how they are at your house, but they don't like Christmas when they come to my place because we pretty much talk about one thing, huh? Yeah, you know, they talk about farmers all the time is, we get done farming and then we go up town so we can talk about farming some more. And uh, we go on vacation and we talk about farming. We are definitely, uh, definitely unique in some of the things we do. You know, we're lucky though, Chris, we get to live what we love every day. And I guess if I had a job I hated, I'd want to take a vacation, and get away from it. I love getting to work in agriculture. I feel like it's a great gift from God. So Chris, let's dive right in here. What we're going to be talking about today is this outrageous high fertilizer cost that we have and some of the things that are contributing to that. We'll start with the nitrogen side of things, if you don't mind. I just recently read a study that came out, I think, out of Texas A&M, and they explained that, yes, nitrogen is higher. Yes, natural gas costs are up. And natural gas costs are actually only contributing about 15% of that price increase. Now, we're looking at prices that are 150% higher than they were 18 months ago, and only 15% can be nailed down to natural gas. Talk to me about your thoughts on that. What do you think is driving this? Why has it got so far away from us? Well, Rod, you know, that study is a really good study to work from and give us a lot of information. And and part of the reason that the study even happened, and there's 20-some corn grower states that, you know, helped fund to do this study at Texas A&M. It's because we'd already been fighting some issues with phosphate. And then last fall, CF Industries, along with a couple of their other partners, decided that they needed to try and take a page out of the phosphate book and apply for tariffs, countervailing duties, both UAN products from Trinidad, Tobago, and from Russia. And the court has come down with a preliminary number on that. Instead of saying, no, we see no reason, they actually have so far cited in favor of CF Industries. And so basically corn farmers had had enough. And they rallied together and hired Texas A&M to do this study. And and it talks in there about the various things that have gone on in the last 18 months. And some of it's weather, some of it's natural gas, some of it's other disruptions. There's been some plant maintenance issues. You know, we're all living in the world of supply and demand challenges, it seems like. The big takeaway in that study is is it pretty clearly showed that since about 2008, 2009, the price of anhydrous 
is not that closely tied to the price of natural gas like it used to be. It used to be very closely tied. And since then, and, and actually even going back further than that, but definitely since that time frame, the price of anhydrous is closely tied to the price of corn. And they laid the charts one on top of each other in that study. And, and it's pretty evident that the price of anhydrous is tracking the price of corn and the spread, you know, only gets in anhydrous's favor um, when it goes up in multiples of, of 150% or more and corn's gone up 50%. So that was one of the big takeaways is natural gas is not the driver in this anymore. No, and it's very frustrating to me. I mean, we farm, we also have a fertilizer business and our raw materials have went up about 30% and therefore our prices have went up just a shade under 30%. I hate that in, in every sense of the word, but it's very frustrating because it seems that the majority of the industry is pricing things based on a percentage of your gross revenue per acre. Would you agree with that? Well, they're certainly not pricing it on some of the factors that maybe be coming into play in a normal year. And, and I don't know exactly what the factors are for everybody because phosphate is a different discussion than nitrogen. But in this study, and it's kind of something I think farmers have felt for the last 15, 20 years that you know, anhydrous goes up and down based on the value of corn. And the study really shows that. And, you know, we could get into percentages all day, but the charts, even if you take the numbers away, the charts clearly indicate the relationship is there. Yeah. And that's kind of frightening. Well, let, you referred to phosphorus and potassium. Let's start with the phosphorus side of things. Talk to us about what you feel is driving that. Why do we have thousand dollar a ton map? And what are the factors there? Well, you know, there's some history involved in this one, that not only with the countervailing duties and tariffs that are on phosphates, but also in the history of companies uh, closing some mines in 2017-18 here in the U.S. And then, you know, some of the world dynamics changing on demand. And so 15 months ago or in that area, a Mosaic and a couple of their partners that are in the industry with decided that both Morocco and Russia um, were, as government, subsidizing those industries more. And so they applied to the International Trade Commission for tariffs slash countervailing duties on products coming from those two countries. Last winter, so a year ago now, we as corn growers were opposed to that. We wrote letters of opposition. We didn't agree with that because the phosphate business, the nitrogen business, the potash business are year-round businesses. They move product around the world because there's two growing seasons in the world, you know, Southern Hemisphere, Northern Hemisphere. They've got to keep their plants open year-round. I totally understand that. But what they were doing is they were going to continue to export the product from Mosaic's mines, which Mosaic has about 60% of the mining capabilities in the U.S., but they make about 80% of the MAP and DAP when you take phosphate rock and add phosphoric acid to get MAP and DAP, along with some other things. Mosaic is a huge player in that. And so when they applied for these countervailing duties from Russia and Morocco, the ITC sided with them last spring, effectively stopping imports from Morocco and Russia because the cost did not make sense for those countries to try and pay 
the duties to overcome the market. Well, what that meant was you took about 15% of the supply out of the market in the U.S. And anytime you take 15% of the supply out of something, the price is going to react. And it reacted <laughs> not in our favor in agriculture. In a, major- and in a major way. And so Mosaic still exporting you know, their products out of the country. That's part of their business plan. I understand that. I don't want them to lay guys off half of the year just for the U.S. market. But they were struggling to acknowledge that we need these imports from our side of the equation. So we filed in November, we filed an amicus brief that this was arrogant and outrageous and not right with a court in the International Trade Commission. And Mosaic filed counter argument to that. One of the things we found out from that is they don't think farmers should be messing in their business. It doesn't matter if it's nitrogen, phosphorus, potash. Farmers are not those companies' customers. So you think about that. Even though we're the end buyer, we are not the customers of Mosaic or CF Industries or Nutrien or Simplot or Morocco or Russia or anybody else. We're only the guy at the end that's paying the highest bill. Their customers, in their viewpoint, are the CHSs, the Growmarks the big co-ops and other distributors that handled the product. So what they said is they didn't think farmers had a right to argue that these tariffs and countervailing duties were out of place. The judge disagreed with them. In fact, he disagreed with them so fast that 24 hours later, he told them, we're going to hear this case. And so that case will not be heard, though, until this summer. So everything takes time. Reality is we're going to have high fertilizer prices this spring regardless of whether you're dealing with corn or soybeans, or if you're dealing with summer wheat, or you're dealing with anything else, that's a reality because the court's going to take time. And so maybe we're talking the 2023 crop, maybe longer, because these countervailing duties, when they go on, they go on for five years. It's not a one-year deal. It's a five-year deal, but it can be reassessed. And actually, we have asked Mosaic, we have asked CF Industries, as national corn growers and all of our state organizations to appeal to the court to say, you know what, prices have changed, the dynamics have changed, and we feel at this time we should at least put a stay on the tariffs and countervailing duties until there is stabilization in supply and stabilization in price. Neither one of those companies or their affiliated business partners are willing to do that. They've said, no, no, we see no reason to do that. Uh, You shouldn't even be arguing this case anyway. Uh, You're not our customer. Interesting. I think another graph that would be interesting to overlay the price of anhydrous and the price of corn would be the profits per share of Mosaic stock. I'm I'm sure that would be an interesting reading as well. You know, I I did an interview with Chris Clayton from DTN. It's been maybe two months ago. And it was right before Mosaic came out with their quarterly profit report. In the third quarter of whatever their fiscal year is, they had made $11 a share the year before. This current third quarter that they closed out, they were at $208 a share in profit. And Chris followed up with that. If you, you know, you can you can go dig dig his articles up on from DTN there and and see all of the things that he talked about and followed up to your point. Their margins are uh, looking pretty good right now. 
You know, and I, I mean, make no mistake, I think we're all capitalists, but not at the expense of breaking someone else. And I think we're also about free. I think the mistake that we made was when we allowed Mosaic to purchase up every individual mine. You know, I have a friend in Canada, and there's a huge mine up there by him on the potash side, completely shut down. I don't mean like reduced production. I mean, like they locked it up and it's just done, at least for now. And so I'm very frustrated with that. Let's talk about the potassium because they got some tariffs in there too, I think, didn't they? Well, they did, or they, they tried to, and, and that was primarily out of Belarus. And that's what makes this also confusing is you got multiple countries and multiple products, but we did get a stay on that at least until April. So there's no tariff, no countervailing duty coming out of Belarus at least until April. But obviously this thing is being watched there's a lot of attention on it now, much more than has ever been in the past, both from us as farmers and all the things that we're trying to do to keep it you know, out in front of people. I think that there's probably some senators and congresspeople that have shown some interest as, as their constituents have talked to them about you know, these prices. I would guess that uh, there's maybe some state attorney generals that other people have talked to. There's a lot more interest and a lot more scrutiny going on on the pricing of fertilizer than, you know, there's ever been in the past. The thing we need to recognize, and let's recognize it, is we're in a world market. I want to buy from a world. I want to sell to the world. American agriculture way overproduces what we can use domestically. So we have to export. We also have to import products. Other countries are also part of that. And what I mean is, COVID has raised the awareness in parts of the world about food security. It's one of those things that so being so fortunate to live in the U.S., we don't think as much about food security as, let's say, the Europeans who've been through two world wars and years and years of rationing and, you know, and all kinds of things. Or living in Southeast Asia and you have meat once a month. Sometimes we forget that it's a big world out there with lots of challenges and lots of food insecurity and lots of people being aware of that. But that also goes the other way around. And if somebody is impacting food security by impacting production, is that necessarily the best business plan either? <laughs> I think we all know the answer to that. That's, um, yeah. It does have a lot of ramifications that people aren't taking into context. So are there more tariffs on the horizons? Because typically it appears to me that when somebody gets away with something like this, they just go back into the well and keep trying to get another drink until somebody says you're done. Do we see more of these coming? What's the future? Well, the, the ones that are out there, I mean, the phosphate ones are in place. Now, that's the ones we're in court with trying to get them to change that, to either rebase it or totally eliminate it, as well as asking are the companies. The nitrogen and the potash still have some ways to go to become finalized. And that's where, you know, as corn growers, soybean growers, wheat growers, you know, the commodity groups in general, they are weighing in on these cases that they see no need for this. They don't understand the drive to put a countervailing duty and Unfortunately, politics gets involved, and it has forever, so it's not a new thing. But those are the ones I don't see anybody filing new cases or new attempts 
until we get some of these other ones resolved, at least on fertilizer input products to the American farmer. Other, other things, I don't know. I can't imagine how much nitrogen would be costing if they had managed to get tariffs in on that. I mean, it's outrageous now. These tariffs, is there a certain percentage that they tend to reflect into the marketplace? So, and I've learned a lot about tariffs in the last few months. <laughs> but, sure. but Dr. Outlaw, in his study from Texas A&M, did a really good job of explaining. If you put a tariff on a product, like we need, like in this case, nitrogen fertilizer, and, and, and it varies from different countries. Let's say that there's, in this case, there's two countries involved. One of them's about a 2% tariff. One of them's about a 10% tariff. The price that we pay in the U.S. will all reflect the 10% tariff, whether it was domestic production or foreign production. So the tariff, in effect, raises the overall price of the product across the board, regardless of where it came from. And so in the case of nitrogen fertilizer in northern Iowa right now, I'm understanding that anhydrous is around $1,500 a ton for spring application. 10% of that, it would add another $150 a ton to the price of anhydrous. That's already up $1,000 a ton from a year ago at this time. That's three times what it was a year ago. Yeah. 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 That's, that's frightening and appalling. All right. Well, Chris, let's talk about what the listeners can do. I know you're super busy, man. I don't want to eat up a bunch of your time, and I thank you for helping us. But let's talk about what the people who listen to the podcast can do, should do. What recommendations do you have for them? Well, first thing I'm going to recommend, and I'm not going to beat my own drum, but I am going to beat my own drum, uh, is that they should be involved with their commodity groups, whether it's corn or soy. Uh, If they're not a member, they should become a member, whether it's in Iowa or Missouri or Illinois or anywhere that's listening to this podcast or anywhere else in the country, become a member of the commodity organizations because they are your voice on this issue. Banded together, we are much bigger. We've already got 40,000 members roughly in corn growers, and you know we could use more. Another thing you can do, obviously, talk to your elected officials. Just explain to them what it means to you on your farm. Go through the math with them. Show them what you paid for fertilizer last year, and what you're having to pay for fertilizer this year. If you want to go beyond that, there's probably some other avenues, but those are probably the best two options you've got is to get involved with your commodity organizations, you know, whether it's NCGA, corn, or whether you go to USB or ASA in the case of soybeans, or some of the other ones if, you, if you're a wheat grower. But get involved with those and then talk to your elected officials. That's what the average consumer can do without a lot of effort and make a big difference. And this really is a deal, not just for the farmers, but for the consumer. Everyone listening to this should be concerned because it's going to impact food. And the fact is, yes, we've had it good here. and We've won the birth lottery to live in the U.S., but we could see problems that way too if we don't wake up here as to what's happening. And at the very least, food's going to get exceedingly expensive. Yes? Well, you know, I, I hate to get into a food cost discussion because there's a lot of factors there. But what I can say And what I have heard is there are definitely producers that are looking at cutting the amount of nitrogen they use and being willing to take a lower yield because they just don't want to spend the money. And obviously, lower yields translate into potentially higher costs for all consumers, whether it's exports or ethanol or livestock. You know, we make 4,000 products out of corn. 
Uh, I always <laughs> say we're, we're on the way to 5,000. And so everybody should be concerned. It's a big discussion. It's a lengthy discussion. And it's not something you can get all the information in one sit down. But it's definitely worth everybody uh, trying to get a little better educated on what's really happened out there for inputs across agriculture. Awesome. Chris, let's make this easy for people who are listening. Uh, what's the easiest way for them to join the NCGA? Well, real easy is to either reach out to ncga.com. That's the website and get part of that. Or they can, if depend if they'd rather be involved in their state and they can reach into, they can just type in corn grower association from whatever state they're in on Google and it, the web addresses will come up and they can reach out to them. They've all got memberships. They've all got people involved in this and they can get engaged that way. Absolutely. We've been a member of the NCGA for a long, long time, and I appreciate the efforts that you guys do and the work that you go to, and I'm sure it's far more than what I even think. I know that it's important, and I do want to encourage everyone, if you're not a member, I'm a member of the Iowa Corn Growers Association as well as the National, and I would encourage all of you to do the same. Well, Chris, we'll wrap this up and let you, I know you were working outside when I talked to you there before we started. Any closing comments you'd like to make to everyone here? Make sure that you, uh, you make yourself heard. Uh, in a positive way. Talk about how this is affecting you as, as a farmer and, and what it's doing to your costs. And the more voices that actually talk about how this is affecting them, the easier it is for people to understand. Absolutely. Well, Chris, I do want to say thank you. I appreciate your time. I look forward to seeing you down at the Commodity Classic in New Orleans here in a few weeks. And I look forward to shaking your hand down there. But uh, on behalf of us at A Better Way to Farm, I want to say thank you. Folks, those of you who listen to us, we'd appreciate it if you'd Give us a rating. If you find value in what we do, please give us a rating and share it with a friend. If there's any additional things you'd like to get from us, feel free to reach out at abetterwaytofarm.com or feel free to go to the Facebook page, a Better Way to Farm, and make a comment or just send us a text or call at 641-919-1206. Again, Chris, thank you for your time. To all of you out there listening, we appreciate you very much, and I hope you're having a better day. A better way to farm. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.